Thank you to Eric and Danielle. I hope you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Uh, I said at the end of last uh, Sunday that I guarantee you by the time I lay my head on the pillow on uh, Thanksgiving Day, I will have eaten a piece of pumpkin pie, and that is true. In fact, my wonderful wife made me a pumpkin pie this week after having given her kind of a hard time last week, uh, but uh, it was very good, excellent pie, some of the best pumpkin pie I've ever had. Homemade crust, it was all good, and, uh, and I, in fact, I got that pie on Tuesday. I've been eating it all week, and so... Uh, I definitely got my fair share of pumpkin pie. And now this morning, as uh, we have been, uh, as we know, we're transitioning into Advent. Uh, As a church, we uh, have, we celebrate Advent, the four Sundays leading up to Christmas. And this is the season that we have to uh, prepare our hearts to celebrate the coming of Jesus. And uh, that is really what is at the heart of the foundation of our faith, that Jesus came to this world, into this world to be our Savior and Lord. And so each Sunday has its theme. Today's Sunday is hope. And uh, every Sunday we will light one more of these candles until on Christmas Eve we will light the center candle, which is the Christ candle. And, uh, and we always have a family share, usually just a reading about whatever the Advent theme is. And this year we thought it would be uh, especially uh, meaningful for us if families shared about what the Advent theme has meant to them personally. And so I appreciated how Danielle and Eric shared about how Christ has brought hope into their life this past year. And we will have testimonies along these lines uh, each week. By the way, as we look forward to Christmas Eve, we have a Christmas Eve service here, uh, obviously, December 24th at 5 o'clock in the sanctuary. And it is a wonderful time. It's not a lengthy service, you know, less than an hour, but it is a wonderful time for us to come together and uh, one last time to be able to celebrate the birth of Christ. And uh, we'll sing Christmas carols, we'll have uh, a devotional, and then we will take the center candle, which is lit on Christmas Eve, and we will go out the side door uh, to the, to, along the grass uh, by the street, and we will light, uh, each person will have an individual candle that will be lit from the flame of the Christ candle, and we will sing Silent Night together. And it is a wonderful way. If you don't have a family gathering that night at that time, uh, I invite you to come to the Christmas Eve service at 5 o'clock on Christmas Eve, and it'll be a great time together. During the Advent season on Sunday mornings, we will be going through the birth narrative as found in the Gospel of Luke. Luke, more than any other gospel, gives us detailed information about the birth of Christ. And then after uh, Christmas, after the Christmas day, we're going to just keep right on going in Luke. My goal was to do go from the birth to the death and resurrection right at Easter time, and so we're gonna uh, we're gonna go through the Gospel of Luke like that, and then we'll keep going. We're, we're actually going to spend six months in the in this gospel. The Gospel of Luke is a wonderful gospel. 
In fact, I took all of last year in my own personal devotions to study Luke, and uh, Christ spoke to me in very meaningful ways. And I'm excited about what God will do in our congregation together as we go through the Gospel of Luke. If, uh, let's, before we jump into this, because we're going to start in Luke chapter 1 today, before we jump into this, let me take a moment and ask for God's help in the sermon. Let's pray. Father God, we now turn our attention to your word, and we invite you to come and to be our teacher. We pray that you would speak to us, each of us, in our own individual lives, wherever we are at in, in life, whatever is going on in our lives or in our hearts or in our minds, we pray that by your Spirit, you would come and speak to us and help us to receive what you would have for us today. And so, God, we humble ourselves before you, and we thank you for your word. Ultimately, we thank you for Jesus, which it talks about, and uh, the salvation that we have through him. We pray that you would guide us during this time. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you are like me, you want to try to know as much about Jesus and his teachings in the, in the Bible as you can. Unfortunately, I would say that all of us would probably say we don't know as much as we would like. In fact, sometimes I am imba- almost embarrassed when I talk to other Christians and I ask them about Jesus and his teachings and where it's found in the Bible and these kind of things that some of which, some of these things are very basic and yet we oftentimes don't have as good a grasp of the life of Jesus as we would like. But the, but the Bible puts emphasis on the on the life of Jesus. In fact, there are four Gospels that are, are the first books in the New Testament. If you're not super familiar with your Bible, uh, there are 66 books in this Bible, all written by different authors. Not all, some of them have the same author, but you, you know my point. All of them uh, have an individual author, and, uh, and of the 66, about two-thirds of this is what we call the Old Testament. Those books that were written before the coming of Jesus. And then after the Jesus, we have what we call the New Testament. And the first four books of the New Testament are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All different recordings of the life and teaching of Jesus. Now the first three, Matthew, Mark, Luke, uh, Matthew, Mark and Luke, are sometimes called the synoptic gospels because they are very similar In fact, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, about 60% of the material is the same material. It's simply told in a different order or from a different perspective. And then John is a lot different. 90% of John is unique to the Gospel of John. I like to think of it this way. If you watch the evening news, you've got CBS 2, NBC 4, and ABC 7, right? If you watch that news, 60% of it is the same news. It's reporting on the same events. Now, they'll tell it in a different order. They tell it from a slightly different perspective. Uh, but, it is, but it's all about the same events. That's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And then John is the BBC. It's got its own, it's, it's whole, all different news. And uh, it's still about the same person, but these are the Gospels. Now Luke stands out in that it is, first of all, the longest of all the Gospels. 
It doesn't have the most chapters. Matthew has 28, Luke has 24. But if you add up the words or the number of verses, Luke is actually the longest of all the Gospels. It is 1,151 verses. Now, I wouldn't have known that if you had asked me that three days ago. But that is how many verses are in the Gospel of Luke. And what is interesting is, uh, I did a little uh, uh, research on this. What is interesting is that over half of those verses contain the actual words of Jesus. 568 to be exact. And so... uh, John, or I mean, Luke is the longest of the Gospels, and Luke contains the most teaching of all the Gospels. And so this is a great place for us to spend the next six months, because in many ways we are going to be looking at the teachings of Jesus. And there is nothing more powerful to consider for our own lives than what Jesus taught us to do. As as Peter said, where else are we going to go, Lord? You alone have the words of eternal life. In the words of Jesus, we have life for our our souls and and gives guidance into how we are living. In fact, I want to give this summary statement. Jesus' words have the ability to meet you where you are at. And each of us are at different points and different places in life. Jesus' word has power like that. It's, it's unique. It's, all, it's, it's, it's almost uh, hard to grasp, but I know this to be true in my own life. I will read one verse at one time in my life, and then I'll read it a couple years later. It's the same verse, and yet God will speak to me exactly where I am at at that time, what I need. Jesus' words have the ability to meet you where you are at and speak his truth into your life. As we open up the uh, Gospel of Luke, in the first chapter, we meet three different people. And what is interesting to me is the three people that we meet in this first chapter are all at different points in their relationship with God. In fact, I think we can look at these three individuals as three spiritual types. And I want to, in the brief minutes that we have together today, I want to look at each of these individuals, and I would love for you to ask yourself, where am I at? In light of the three categories that I'm going to give you, where am I at in my relationship with God? And then beyond where am I at, where are those that I know? Where are others that I meet in the church? And how might I come alongside and, and be a brother or a sister in Christ to them? And so it is, a question of, uh, it is a question of where are we at in the Lord? And each of these types is asking different questions of God. Questions that they are looking to from the Lord for answers. The first person that we meet in this passage is a guy by the name of Theophilus. Now, Theophilus, this is the only time in Scripture that he is mentioned. But in these uh, brief verses, I think we can gain some insight into who he was. Let's turn to uh, Luke chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 1 through 4. This is Luke's introduction to his gospel. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who were from the first eyewitnesses and servants of the, of the word. With this in mind, since I, have, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, 
I too have decided to write an I too have decided to write an orderly account to you. Most excellent Theophilus. There he is. Most excellent Theophilus. So that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Now, who is Theophilus? Almost all scholars will agree Theophilus is the person that has paid Luke to write this letter. That's why Luke addresses it to him. He's funded Luke's research. From the very beginning, Luke has said, I am writing what I have researched. I have in, the word he uses here is actually, I, this is what I have, in, I have carefully investigated everything from the beginning. Luke himself was not a disciple of Jesus. He was not an eyewitness to the things that Jesus uh, had, uh, had uh, done and taught. But he has carefully investigated all of this. And Theophilus is the one that has paid him to do it. Luke is, a me- is actually a medical doctor. Uh, he has, that is his education. He's an educated man. He's a historian. And Theophilus has given this person a sum of money probably for the course of many years. This has taken, uh, Theophilus must be a very wealthy man. In fact, I think Theophilus was probably a Roman uh, ruler. The title that is given here, he says, he's, he calls him Most Excellent Theophilus. There's only four people in all the Bible are called Most Excellent their name. For example, in Acts 26, 25, Paul refers to Festus, who is the Roman governor at that time. He says, Most Excellent Festus. And uh, and, and so this, was a t- this would be a normal title for a ruler. Theophilus was wealthy, he was powerful, he was educated, and more than anything, I think he was a seeker. He was a seeker for the truth. That's the first sp- uh, spiritual type that I want to point out to us this morning. Some of us are seekers. We are simply looking for an answer to this question. Uh, could this Jesus actually be who he says he is? That's what the seeker is asking. That's what Theophilus was wondering. Could Jesus actually be who he said he was? Could he actually be who these others say they are? There, all of us know people who are seekers. In fact, every Sunday, I believe, we have people in this sanctuary who are seekers. They're curious. Is God uh, who he really says he is? Is it possible that this God exists? Is it possible that he could actually make a difference in my life? And we come and, we, and, uh, and people are asking these kind of questions. And so seekers uh, are looking for answers about the most basic things of faith and, and a relationship with God. Now Luke is acting on behalf of Theophilus. He's helping him in his seeking. And it says that Luke is investigating this. And Luke in verse 2, it seems that he has three sources for his investigation. In verse 2 it says, Just as they were handed down to us by those who were from the first eyewitnesses and servants of the Lord. So let me unpack that a little bit. What are Luke's three sources? Well, the first, things, the first thing he mentions here is teachings that were handed down. In uh, Luke's day and age, it would have been mainly oral tradition. Many people were still illiterate. 
And so the way they were receiving information of, uh, about Jesus is one person would share with another person. And not only an individual conversation, but then as the church begins to gather. And so Luke says, I've gone to the churches and I've heard the teachings and, uh, and I've studied what is being taught about who Jesus is. And that is an important source for any seeker. To come into the church. This is where the people of faith are gathering. To, be in a, to even seek to be in a Bible study and to hear the sermons preached. This is a great way for us uh, to continue to seek out. Is there anything legitimate to this idea of Christianity? And then Luke talks about eyewitnesses. Eyewitnesses were simply there, uh, people who were there and saw what Jesus had done. And... Uh, and, and people that were actually those that he healed. People that saw his resurrection body. And Luke says, I've gone and, and I think he's gone and he's done uh, individual interviews with many of them. That's why I think this investigation was probably years. In fact, we're going to look at Mary, Jesus' mother, in a moment. I'm, I'm sure that Luke sat down with Mary and asked her questions. Now, how is it that, are you sure that it was a virgin birth? Because I'm a medical doctor and I know that that's not how it normally happens. And he's done these, this kind of investigation, investigative work. And for seekers today, it's good, good to hear the stories of how people, have, their lives have been changed. That's why as a church we emphasize testimonies. That's why part of the reason I wanted people to share specifically of, um, around the Advent theme was because these are stories about how God is working in someone's life. And we have a lot of testimonies in our church just because I'm a big believer in this idea of eyewitness account. And then the third thing uh, Luke mentions here is the Word. In other words, the Bible, the Scriptures. It is so important for us to continue to read, all of us, but seekers or those that have been saved for a long time to read God's Word. In fact, if this is not a regular daily practice for you, I invite it uh, to become. If you're not in a regular reading plan, you might start with the Gospel of Luke. If you were to read one chapter a day, you would read through the Gospel of Luke every, every month. And that gives you six days a month to miss because you're sick or you're busy or whatever, but 24 days out of 30, if you were to read a, a chapter, you'd go through the Gospel of Luke. And if you read through the Gospel of Luke six times over the next six months, you will know the words of Jesus much better than you do now. You see, God's Word has power like that uh, for all of us. And so it is good for us to constantly be reading. Now, some of you may say, and I, and I just want to give a, a little word of advice here. Some uh, may say, oh, I've got my favorite translation. Let me give you my three favorite translations. If you're not familiar with the Bible, you're a seeker and you want to read God's Word, here's, here are some places to start. The first, I use three translations mainly. The first is what we call the NIV, New International Version. That's the one I'm preaching from this morning. It is a very easy-to-read translation and very close to the original text. The original text was written in Greek or the Old Testament in Hebrew, and this is a good translation. Now, the ESV, which is in the Pew Bible, which is the Pew Bible in front of you, English Standard Version, is, 
is the most literal of all the translations. Maybe not of all of them, but that's the most recent translation that is the most literal. And it's still a very easy-to-read translation. If you don't have a Bible, take the one in front of you home. You're not stealing. You've got permission. That's your Bible to keep. Uh, we'll, we'll replace it. We've got lots of Bibles, and it's the most important thing you can have. So the NIV, the ESV, and the third one that I really like is the NLT, New Living Translation. Now, it's not a version you're going to want to memorize out of. It's, it's kind of wordy. It almost reads like a novel. It's a paraphrase. But I find it to be very helpful to, to getting an over... Like, if you're going to read a chapter a day, that's a lot of material to cover. And the NLT would, is a good version to, to be able to digest a lot in one sitting. So those are the three sources teachings handed down, eyewitnesses, and the Word, the Bible. That is Theophilus. He is a, a seeker. Now, the next person that we meet in uh, the Gospel of Luke is a person by the name of Zechariah. Zechariah is introduced to us in verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah, his, his wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Now we're given a little bit of a description here, but I'm going to step back and I'm going to look at another verse to get a spiritual type. But let me just finish this paragraph off. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the commands and decrees blamelessly, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were very old. Now that's helpful background information to know because an angel will appear to uh, Zechariah and tell him that you're going to have a baby and your, your wife is going to have a baby in, in your old age. And here is Zechariah's response in verse 18. Zechariah asks the angel, how can I be sure of this? In other words, he doubts. He's a little bit skeptical. How can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. Now because there was doubt in his heart, God made him mute until the baby was born. For nine months, he was not able to speak a word. I want to characterize Zechariah as the spiritual type of a, skept excuse me, of a skeptic. The skeptic is asking, how can this be according to reason and science? And there are many people in our day and age that we know that are skeptics. They look at the teachings of the Bible and they look at these events that we're recording here and they say, you know what, that just doesn't jive with what I know about science or reason. It doesn't make any sense. Now these people are far from idiots in fact, the, uh, the most logical thing to think when we read these type of story, stories is, could that really have happened? The, skeptical, the skeptic is coming at it from a very rational point of view. And uh, I just want to start with this thought, that first of all, Luke is a good place for the skeptic to read. Because uh, Luke is, remember, Luke is a medical doctor. He would not have got hoodwinked by a, uh, by a virgin birth if he was not convinced that it had happened. And he was a historian of first rate. 
In fact, famed archaeologist William Ramsey, who was no one just to blow smoke at someone just because they were the uh, biblical author, William Ramsey said, Luke is a historian of first rank. This, This author should be a place along with the very greatest of historians. Luke had carefully investigated this and knew that some of these things that the Bible is talking about, a virgin birth, miraculous healings, a resurrection, are hard to take at first, uh, at first reading. But I want us to think about this in, uh, for a moment. And I want us as a church to wrestle with the questions that the skeptic asks, because these are hard and important ske- uh, questions. In fact, I don't even know if there's always a really satisfying answer. But think about it in this light for a moment. And I want to go back to a book I read by C.S. Lewis entitled Miracles. Now, if you're a skeptic and you want to understand, how is it, is there anything reasonable or rational about miracles? Uh, Start with C.S. Lewis's book by that title. But Lewis says in his book, we all have naturalism in our bones. In other words, we want things to be explained by the laws of nature. We want them to be understood in a scientific way. And then Lewis goes on to uh, look at creation from a naturalistic point of view and says, could it be reasonable? And he starts with the idea of creation. And he says, unless creation is infinite, there has to be a beginning point. And even if we take the popular uh, theory of the Big Bang, there are molecules that come together, chemicals that explode and send things out into the universe. And, And Lewis says, at least at that point, we might be able to say there is such a thing as a creator who brought at least the first molecules into being. And if there is a creator and we look at this expanse of the universe and we look at the detail within a single cell, and we look at the complexity of all, it seems logical that there would be a designer. And if there is a creator and a designer who has designed all of the universe and created the laws of nature, it is reasonable that the creator would act outside of the laws of creation. And so we wrestle with all of these things. And I'll, and I'll admit that many of these things that are here that are hard to accept. And that is where the element of faith comes in. We wrestle with it to the very best of our ability. And we look for logical ways to piece things together. But some of it is received by faith. The author of Hebrews gives us a definition of faith. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. There are certain things that we see that we cannot necessarily give a scientific, rational explanation for. Now, we do the best we can, and we wrestle with all of these difficult questions. But at the end of the day, if there is a possibility, if, if, if there is a rational ex a possibility, then some things we receive by faith. Now, the wonderful thing about Zechariah is the Lord never gave up on him. He had all kinds of questions, and he wrestled with those things. But at the end of the day, the baby was born, and and Zechariah wrote the baby's name that God had given him to call this baby John, and he received his voice back because Zechariah had 
showed evidence of faith in the Lord. You see, we have seekers and we have skeptics. And the last spiritual type we have is servants. And this is the one we see in in Jesus' mother, Mary. In verse verse 28, we're introduced to Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. The Greek word for highly favored there is the word for grace. In other words, the reason that uh, Mary was chosen was out of the grace of God. It is the same grace that is applied to each one of us when God chooses us and calls our name. And then uh, the angel Gabriel, the same angel that appeared to Zechariah, begins to explain to Mary what would happen to her, that she would bear uh, a son. And verse 34 is Mary's question. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? Now, I don't get the same sense of doubt or skepticism that uh, Zachariah had in Mary's question. What I hear Mary asking for is simply to, to seek out the Lord's knowledge of what will happen to her and how she can be obedient to what God is calling her to. In fact, if I was to summarize Mary's uh, statement, Mary's question, it is this. What is it that you want me to do? Now let's continue on in the story. Verse 35, the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from the Lord will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Mary's response is the response of a servant. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Mary is the representative for the servant, and her question is, what is it that you want me to do? And I love the way that this, uh, this part of the story ends. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Mary, in essence, is saying, whatever you would have for me, that is what I will do. I trust in you. I receive from you. Now, when Mary received the word from the, God, from the angel, there was no guarantee that her fiancé would stay with her. In fact, the, her understanding would probably have been that I have lost Joseph out of my life forever. And yet it seems that she comes with open hands before the Lord and says, I am the Lord's servant. I trust in you, whatever you would have for me. And there is a good chance that all the townspeople will gather around Mary and they will call her a slut and a whore and a fornicator and whatever else they think, uh, they assume had happened. And Mary stands with open arms and says, Lord, I trust in you. I am your servant, whatever you would have for me. In the law, there would have been a a provision for Mary to be tied up in the town square and for for people to come by and ridicule her and abuse her physically and verbally. And Mary stands with open arms and says, I am the Lord's servant. Whatever you would have for me, Lord, 
I trust in you. Now, of all the three spiritual types, God loves them all, the seeker, the skeptic, and the servant. But I think the servant is the one that is most inspirational. What if we were all to adopt the attitude of Mary? I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. You know, if we were to do that, there would be whole schools that would be transformed. And families would be changed. And workplaces would have the presence of God in ways they didn't have before. Our church would definitely be turned upside down. Whole communities and, and social gatherings and, and, the, and the senior center and wherever we spend time would be, would be turned uh, differently because we enter into that place with open arms and says, Lord, I am your servant. Whatever you would have here in this place, I, am, I trust in you and I will do. It's a calling for each and every one of us. Some of us may say, I am a little bit in two types. I'm a servant, yet I'm still seeking, or I'm a servant, and yet I'm still skeptical. My challenge for all of us is to read the words of Mary and say, could that be my heart? I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father God, I am so thankful for the example of Mary and what an inspiration it is for us as we enter into the Christmas season. When we look at her obedience and then we look at the obedience of Jesus, we just pray for the grace of the Holy Spirit to help us to follow in these examples. We recognize that Mary was received uh, as uh, was received by grace when the angel came and said you who are highly favored is a word of grace and so we come before you God and we ask that you would meet us where we are at and we recognize that that is an act of your grace God none of us have the faith that we would like to have none of us have the knowledge of Jesus and your word that we would like to have but we come before you and we ask that you would continue to pour out your grace upon us. God, I pray for anyone here in this room that doesn't know you as their Savior and Lord. And God, if today is the day that you are calling them to place their faith in you, God, I pray that even as we gather around the Lord's table, that in these quiet moments, they might be able to talk to you and express their heart's desire. For you to either continue to work in their hearts and to, and to show yourself to them or maybe even to come into their life for the very first time. And we recognize that that is all a work of your grace. But God, we pray that we would be able to follow you in the same way that Mary followed you. That we would come before you with open hands and we would say, I am the Lord's servant. Whatever it is that you have for us, I trust in you. May your word to me be fulfilled. God, we thank you for the Lord's Supper that is before us. We thank you for the bread that is here that represents your body and the, and the cup that is here that represents your blood. And we know that the only way that we can have a relationship with Jesus is through the forgiveness of sins that is provided for us through your death on the cross. 
And so, God, as we gather around the Lord's Supper, uh, the Lord's table, I pray that you would continue to minister to our hearts. Speak to us. Help us to take a moment just to be quiet to us, that we might hear your word for us. God, I thank you that you love us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.